Okay, welcome. So this is class six, which is really, we've completed, like I just said before, we've completed a whole, the first half of the whole course, which is, I hope we've understood what it means to be human. Um, and from here on, we're going to understand what it means to be Jewish. Uh, so this class is going to be a complete review from the beginning to what we just learned last week and hopefully get everything very clear. So just before we do this, I'll just give you just this idea what I just said about being human and being Jewish. The definition of a Jew is a human being with an ashama. Definition of a non-Jew is a human being. That's it. So we've got we everything that really pertains to non-Jews also pertains to Jews. But we've got on top of that, we've also that's not exactly true, but it's basically true. And on top of that, we've got this Jewish element to us, which is called the Neshama. And that puts us in a whole different category. And it means we've got a whole different, a whole different there's lots of different rules and lots of different lots of different avoiders, etc. Okay. So um what we did just to to give a super just a summary as it just in in as the class is an overview the first class we defined what good means and we also by definition we defined what evil also means okay the second class we then after defining what good was being selfless we then defined what selfless means because it was nice getting our definition of good but we didn't really understand what selfless meant so then we understood what selfless meant then we understood the idea of a relationship. Class three was what is a relationship? What's another human being? Now I know what good is. Now, what, what's that in relation to another human being? Um, and then we spoke about how um, reality basically divides into the, the, the mechanics of reality, so to speak, how Hashem made the world and how it breaks down. And then last class, we we explained how the soul, the mechanics of the soul, the anatomy of the soul. So that's all in the realm of human. Okay, so we'll start by, the first thing we did was we we quoted, I think I quoted the chatbot GPT, but I just got from Wikipedia that I read like this. This is the definition of good that Wikipedia gives us. In most contexts, the concept of good denotes the conduct that should be preferred when posed with the choice between possible actions. This is really helpful. Listen to this bit. Good is generally considered to be the opposite of evil. That's really helpful. And is of ethics, morality, philosophy, and religion. The specific meaning etymology of the word and its associated translations among ancient and contemporary language, so substantial variation in its inflection and meaning, depending on circumstances of place and history, or philosopher, philosophical or religious context. Bikitsa, that, that really didn't help us much at all. So I think everyone was really, really, um, what's the word? Not impressed, but so everyone was, uh, was quite amazed at how we all have this internal knowledge of what good actually is. And we gave that list, remember we gave that list of like five different people and we all basically, and there was a lot of us in the class at that point, we all nailed the list exactly in the same order. So it's funny because if you've got this like really convoluted definition of what good is, 
how we were all really on the same track and no one could really articulate it until we started discussing it. And then it came out, it was just very obvious, especially when we we spoke about Mother Teresa and Bill Gates. And we basically extracted goodness from the act. Because if you're going to talk about the act, then Bill Gates did a lot more good than Mother Teresa. But everybody intrinsically feels that Mother Teresa was more good than Bill Gates. Why? Because she gave more of herself. She was more selfless. So we came to that understanding and everybody agreed. And I think that's a universal, uh, it's universal, literally. Basically, I've asked this question to a lot of people. What, what does it mean good? And everybody does the same thing. They go, and then they realize they don't know. And then they feel silly. And then they realize as we push a little bit further, that they do know what it means. They just never articulated it. And it boils down to the same thing. How selfless or how selfish are you? So it comes out a person who's embodied the trait of good is called. Do you remember what the trait of good is? As a human being who, who embodies the trait of good. We call that humble. That's called humble. That's so important to remember. Like we've said many times, humble is not another trait. Humility is not another trait, like kindness or justice or all the other traits. Kind um, Humility is the embodiment, the human embodiment of goodness. Selfless, that's what humility is. So a person can be very talented, but they don't feel that it's their talents. And listen how amazing this is. If you've got all these talents and you don't feel that they're yours, it's almost kind of embarrassing that you're so talented. Well, now what? They're not mine, so they're not for me. They're not for me to get honor and etc. So they're obviously there for me to use for other people. That's a humble person. I've got all I've got all these resources, I've got all this money, I've got all these talents, I've got all this love. And well, it's not about me, because there isn't really much of a me. I don't feel like much of a, a me. So who's it for? What's it about? That's called being humble. And on the other side of the spectrum is the is the arrogant person who feels it's for me. He might not he might not walk around with his head up in the you know in the sky like we think that you know the the general uh, the the regular way of defining arrogant, but he feels a lot of ownership. I I own this. This is mine. These talents are mine. I'll take credit for these. So they're for me. They're to serve me. That's arrogant. So that's the embodiment of goodness of selflessness is called. Um, is called humility and the embodiment of of evil of selfishness evil is a little bit of a, a bad translation of ra i don't think evil is the right word um so just um so um the person who embodies the trait of ra is called arrogant and the two um the two characters in Nach, the, the, the paradigms of good and evil, is Moshe and Paroi. Moshe was humble and Paroi was arrogant. Okay, and we just explained quickly what it means a higher Ra. Why is it called an evil animal? 
A predatory animal by in Hazal is called a higher ra, an evil animal. What like what's evil? What's an a, 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 a tiger is the same as a cow. Just a cow is programmed to eat grass, and a tiger is programmed to eat cows. Yeah. So Hazal are teaching us that's the embodiment of evil. You're right. An animal can't be evil. It's got no. An animal is an animal. But but what what we learn from a predatory animal is that it's basically the animal says, look, I need to live and I will take what's most precious to you, i.e. your life, so that I can continue to live. That's the definition of Ra. That's the ultimate level of Ra. I will take the thing that's most precious to you because I, I deserve it. A humble person wouldn't do such a thing. A humble person would sit down and starve. That's what my Rebbe said by Adam Arishan, is that there's a, it, in the, the Pasuk says that you should eat from all the trees of the garden except for the eight Das. Why did he have to tell him to eat from all the trees? Because my Rebbe said that if if Adam hadn't been given the command or was, wasn't given permission to eat from the trees, he would have just sat down and starved to death. He wouldn't have felt that he had any right to take from somebody else's tree. Why is his life more important than than taking from someone else's tree that's what he was coming from okay so then class two we got into the idea of um what actually is selfless so we defined that good means selfless now what is selfless so we said that um like we gave the example of a guy dancing at a chasna in front of the chasna and color with complete abandon and that could be coming from a very humble place or a very arrogant place so we see that the act is really very um very neutral the act is always neutral the the good or the bad element is coming from the inner dimension that it is the inner dimension that is coming from the intention of the human being like we could build a hospital to help people and heal people, or we could build a hospital to get one up on our friend who built a smaller hospital. So the actual act itself is always neutral. Um, the And then we ask the question, so if the act is always neutral and it's just the intention that makes the act good or bad then could there be such a thing as goodness without an act if we see that the act has got nothing to do with good or bad can we be good without the act and then we started getting into understanding what selfless actually means because the question is i know that i can do good for a human being I can do good for them. But can I have like a good experience with a tree or with a mountain? Something that I can't do something for. Can I have a good experience? Can I have a selfless, a selfless experience with a mountain? So we use the marshal. Anybody remember the three, three levels of hearing, of, of listening? Remember the three levels of listening? Listening in order to answer. Yeah, that's the lowest level. Putting putting everything you hear into your own life. 
Yeah, that's you said that a little that you it's right. I know you but you said it a little bit starkly, more like <laughs> analyzing and and evaluating, comparing, contrasting, liking, preferring. It is what you said, but just that it, I think it's a, it feels a little bit nicer the way I just said it. But yeah, anyway, and the third level is listening just for that person, nothing to do with yourself. Yeah, which is basically silence. So the first level, which we're all very familiar with, is when we're just basically waiting for the other person to shut up so that we can say our thing. And they're kind of an impediment to us. They're like a necessary evil that we have to kind of put up with. Yeah, I'm being very strong with my language here. And then we've got the second level, which is the very, a very normal, very amongst good people, which is you're kind of using the other person to have a... An, an experience of yourself again it's not like that it's not you're doing it for that reason but that's what it comes out to be it's really an experience of myself but through you i'm using you to experience myself and then there's silence inner silence is real listening and that's when that's when all the problems get solved like when if you have you got if you ever got a an angry client yeah and you can just sit there silent in with inner silence, nearly everything gets resolved within like within like 30 or 40 seconds, literally. It's amazing. If you can genuinely reach silence, Calvahoma with with well, not Calvahoma, but with 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 spouses, with children, with that kind of thing. If you can literally just stop and be silent, then the other person just feels like. It's uh, what's it called? It's called um, uh, emotional air. No, not emotional. Psychological air. That's what they call it in the in the self help books. You give a person psychological air, meaning that you've created a space. That space is called you, and they are able to go into that space, and that makes them just go ah. Oh. And that's basically that cures nearly everything. So selflessness is silence. Silence is selfless. Silence is an amazingly important quality to try our hardest to to um, to cultivate. And that's one of the biggest tragedies of the iPhone is you don't have any silence, zero FS. So then we we started to explain how how toxic is that chatterbox that that just doesn't shut its head it just doesn't shut up how toxic actually is it and we decided that it's really really toxic it's mummish really really horrible why so we spoke we showed remember we showed the two pictures of the honda and the ferrari which was really just the honda but i photoshopped the ferrari badge on it and everybody preferred the 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 Honda with the Ferrari badge. Why? Because the Ferrari badge, what that Ferrari badge does, and this is what this is what the big companies spend tremendous amounts of money doing, is they have manipulated you over the years. That when you see the Ferrari badge, lots of kind of words and emotions flow into your consciousness. A lot of them I'm not even going to say because they're not shy to say it. It's not not sneers. And a lot, but a lot of these words come into your mind, and and that means that you look at the car in a different way. When you see the Honda badge, you're thinking dependability, boring, you know, 
economical, boring. Everything's boring, yeah. So that's what when you're when you you've got the word boring, 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 boring going off in your head. Yeah, you look at the car, you're like, you have Ferrari. Yeah, it's like exciting, exciting, expensive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you're like, wow, look at that car. That's how. Well, that's not really how dangerous it is. It gets even more dangerous. And we explained that anorexia and and diseases like that, or um, and if you call it, I think it is a disease, but um, um, what's it called? Um, like uh, psychological issues like that. It, that's how that's how toxic thinking can become. Not that it's probably like this for everyone, but 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 there are cases of anorexia where the thinking can be so toxic that a very, very, very thin person can look in a mirror and experience a fat person. That's how that's how distorting that voice, that's how dis- that's how dangerous that voice is. And the word rush, we said is an anagram for the word Russia. Again, when we say Russia, we don't mean like, you know, like Hitler or Ted Bundy. We mean, we, we do also mean them. But we just mean this person with a very active inner voice that's distorting everything, that's really driving them nuts. It's Pasha driving them nuts, everyone. Okay, so then we started, now that we understand what is good, that it's selfless. We understand what selfless is, that it's silence. Now, how does that plug into having a relationship with another person? Okay, great. I can have an experience of a um, of a of a mountain now that I'm silent. Great, that's nice. I appreciate that. But what about how does it play out in a relationship? Is it enough just to be silent to have a relationship? <laughs> eventually, I know it'd be nice to have you know our spouses be silent for a minute to listen to us. But eventually, after a while, you might want them to actually say something back to you. You know what I mean? So, so a relationship isn't isn't exclusively predicated on silence. So, what's a relationship? So, we defined a human being. Anybody remember how we defined the human being? We split the person kind of into two. Anybody remember? Name and essence. People remember what the uh, what the image was that we used to 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 help us remember the difference and how to understand it. Picture of an eye. So the eye has the iris and it has the pupil. The iris in everybody's eye is completely different different colors, different textures, patterns, lines, shapes, bright, dark, all completely different. The pupil, on the other hand, in everybody's eye, is exactly the same. And that corresponds to who we are, and we could say what we have. But what we have doesn't just mean, like we said, it doesn't just mean our possessions. We have an intellect, we have emotions, we have a personality. It's really an expression. It's the expression of the 
of the essence of who we are. But who we are is an unchanging, formless. All the things that you have, they can change and they do change. You can even change your name if you want. That's the point. You can even change it. You can add a name. You can change your name. You do what you want. You get things. You lose things. Your intellect grows. Your emotions become more intelligent. Your personality develops. All of these things, they're not you. That's not you. And if a person is being loved for those things, or let's say that if a person is loving those things about the other person, then really they're loving themselves. Everyone knows that when you say, I love my children, that means something very different from when you say, I love pizza. Same word, but we know it's a completely different thing, yeah? But it might not be. When we say, I love pizza, we're talking about the qualities of the pizza. There's no essence there. Maybe there is, but there, we're, not, we're not in love with the essence of the pizza. We love the qualities of the pizza. Why? Because I like cheese, whatever. And I like what cheese does for me. So whenever we're loving the qualities of another, it's really actually a self-love. And the other isn't being loved. And if the other's sensitive enough, they will, they will start experiencing that and they will feel the opposite of love. They will actually feel alienated. So our goal with a human being is to use the name to get to the person. For example, if they weren't standing in front of you, if their body wasn't there, then how could you love them? There's no one, if you hadn't met them already. The body is the, so to speak, the, um, the, 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 the way to the person. So all the things that they have, those are the way to the person, but the person isn't the things. So those things that the people have or don't have, that's the way to the person. And this is a relationship. A relationship is when your needs become more urgent to me than my own personal needs. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to take care of my needs. But, but, but your needs are at least as real to me as my needs. And in a real relationship, in, a, in an ultimate level of relationship, your needs are more real to me than my needs. That's a very high level. That's a very high level. But we can get we can get there as well. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, that's the concept of a relationship. When we get into a relationship, when we ascend from the level of things and we actually start to access the black part, the pupil, the formless part that's the same with everyone, yeah? Now the relationship becomes about the other. 
Kozman, it's about the things that this person has. It's about me. The minute it flips to the person as opposed to their name, now we've entered, anyone remember what we called that relationship? Which is a, re a real relationship, the opposite of your relationship with the cab driver. You remember what we called the relationship with the cab driver? So we call that relationship back to back. Back to back means I'm in it to get to wherever, and he's in it for my money. It's not about me. It's not about him. I mean, it's all about me for me, and it's all about him for him. That's called a back to back relationship. Okay. We want to try and avoid those relationships. By the way, just as a tangentially, that's why giving tips is such a Heidegger thing. Because when you give a tip, I actually learned it from a guy from California. Uh, he said to me at the end of a job that I did for him, he paid, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a photographer. So he gave me the money. And then he said, oh, and by the way, here, this is for you. After paying me for the job, he then, and he knew that I'm, you know, I'm the only person working. And then he gave me the tip with the words, and this is for you. And I'll never forget that. And I do that every time. I, I tip whenever I can. And I don't just give a tip, say, here's a tip. I say, oh, and this is for you. Meaning I now flip the relationship from back to back to, well, at least I'm looking at him now. And hopefully he'll be looking at me like that. This is for you. This is for the, the black part. This isn't transactional now. I didn't need to give this to you. So this is for you. That's just a very important, that's a lovely tip to know. Anyway, tip. Anyway, so once we ascend from the things about the person and we start to actually access the person, that's called face-to-face. -face. That's a face-to-face -face relationship. That means it's not about me. It's about you. Like this idea of being a good mother or being a good wife that's a faulty it's it's a faulty thing to say it's not about being a good mother and it's not about being a good wife it's about your children and it's about your husband if you can get out of this trying to be a good wife or trying to be a good mother and just be focused exclusively on your husband in that context and in your children in that context then you have become a good wife and a good mother. But, but 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 a good wife and a good mother is not interested in being a good wife or a good mother. You with me? It's very simple. It's very simple. It's, it's scarily simple. That's called face-to-face. -face. So now we spoke about this idea of identification. Anybody remember how we defined identification? So identification is when my sense of self and X merge with one another. Now, we see, you know, look on the media right now and you'll see that it's very, very easy to identify with an ideology, with a political stance, with a religion, with a land, with whatever it is, yeah? But you can even, you can even identify with a backache or with an abusive, an abusive relationship, or with uh, with a disability, whatever it is, a person can identify with anything. 
literally anything. And that is what we call human self-sacrifice, human self-sacrifice. When the human being will give up their life for their ideology, their ideology. And we gave the example of William Wallace, yeah, when he holds up his sword and so they can take our lives, but they cannot take our freedom. That isn't self-sacrifice. That's actually self-preservation. What he had done is he had merged, his sense of self had merged so thoroughly with the ideology of freedom that now when his freedom is threatened, that's really who I am. I mean, my body, that's that's just my body. But I'm, I'm freedom. So they can take our lives, but they cannot take our freedom. There's nothing selfless about that at all. But that's called, that's called human self-sacrifice. And if a person has identified with a noble cause, then that's the highest level a human being can get to. If the cause is noble, the person has decided that they want to um, provide, you know, housing and rehabilitation and education for all the homeless people in, in LA, and they've made this their life's project, and they lose their wife over it, they lose their family over it, they lose their health over it, they lose everything over it. Yeah, and it's and that they've that maybe losing their wife and their family is not such a good idea, but but they lose their health over it and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they give their lives up for their cause, and the cause is a good one, which I think that would be a good cause. Yeah, that's called a very that's called a very high human being. That's called a human being who's really being human, who's really ascended the level of animal and has become a real human being. An animal can't do that. That's done by the faculty of Das. An animal doesn't have Das. Everyone's good so far? Any questions? No? Okay. Um, and then we got into class four, which I renamed it after I gave the class and I called it the illusion of one becoming two and two becoming three. Because I wrote originally one become two and two became three, but one really never became two. Yeah, Shem Echad, Shem never stopped being one. So what was the moshal? The moshal for creation is the, is the scratching into a rock. You didn't add anything to the rock. You just took away from the rock. And you gave the impression of something else. That's creation. So when we say and we say yeah, we're alluding to the fact that nothing got added. It's not like there was God and now there's God and creation. No. It's in fact the exact opposite. There was God and there's still only God but he kind of made an illusion where he removed himself a little bit and the little places where he removed himself became you and me. That's our own sense of, I am, I'm, I am. That's, that's Ani. That's the Ani. The removal of Hashem's essence, so to speak. So, we explained that when 
as Sharon creates things, so we, we just explain what creation is. Creation is the removal, but let, let, that's very esoteric and cool. But let, let's just talk about creation now. So when Shem creates things, or whenever someone creates something, it's always done with how's everything done? What causes everything to take place? Uh, a desire. Yeah. Rutson. The Rutson, you could do the act in endless different ways. But it's always the ruts on that causes that act to be. So, like I said, I have a ruts on right now to bring my cup to my mouth and to drink my drink. Yeah. My cup didn't do that. My cup was the tool that I used to do that. My ruts on did that. It's quite amazing if you sit there and you can sit there and like wiggle your fingers and like you're, it's amazing how much can you can do anything like with your fingers. Think like do that, not now, but do that. Sit down for a minute and look at how you can do whatever you want and think, how am I doing that? What's happening? Like imagine how many muscles have to to imagine what kind of crazy things are going on to do that. Yeah. And I'm just doing that, and I can do it with my other finger, I can do it together, I can do it like that's modic, yeah. That's that's your rutson expressing itself. How do you do it? And then think about how you talk. You you realize like what kind of subtleties there are in how you pronounce different words. You have no idea what you're doing. No idea whatsoever. That's just your rutson taking care of the show. So your rutson does everything. Now there's two kinds of rutsoyness. There's what's called inner will and outer will. Anybody remembers the difference? Anyone want to hazard a... No? Okay. So outer will is basically means that you are doing X or creating X for a reason. It's a means to an end. It's not an end unto itself. You don't really want it. You want a benefit that it's going to bring to you. By the way, are people seeing a little bit how this is all holographic, what I'm saying? I think you need to, if, you could, if you're misboining on these ideas and go over them again, 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 you'll see that I'm really just, it's all holographic. Everything that I'm saying is, I've said it in different places and it's all just being put into different, the, the best word is just holographic. If you look at, if you go over it again and again, you'll see it's it's breathtaking. So, so um, yeah, there's two reasons why I do something. Let's forget about actually creating. Let's just talk about me doing. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah, two reasons why I do anything. Okay, I'm skiing down the mountain because I want to do that. I love that. And then there's getting on the plane to go to France to ski down the mountain. I don't want to do that particularly, but I have to do that because I want to ski down the mountain. So that's called Chetsonia Sarutson. That's called outer will. Inner will is what I really want. Outer will is a means to an end. I have to do that. Yeah? To get to what I want. So... We said that outer will actually conceals who you are. 
when I see you skiing down the slope, yeah, then I know that I learn quite a bit about you. Like, you're not going to see my rabbi skiing down a slope, yeah? He doesn't do that. That's not him, yeah? When you see someone, if you see someone surfing, it's a certain, that's a certain type of person. You learn, so when someone says to you, I love surfing, you've now just boxed that person into a certain, you, you've you got him category, you know who he is. But when you're seeing, in in, on a level, but when you're seeing him driving to the beach, you have no idea. You don't know who he is, He's just driving to the beach. Could be a lifeguard, could be a surfer, could be a, well, I don't know, whatever, uh, looking for gold with that, that funny thing. Yeah, who knows? So so the outer will conceals the person. Whenever you're doing something as a means to an end, you become concealed. You're hidden. I don't know who you are. But when I see you doing something as an end unto itself, ah, now I know. I, now I know something about you. So that's called Klipa. Everyone's heard that term before? I mean, I know we mentioned it, yeah? People have heard it. Can people just, a bunch of you got your cameras off. Can you just hit the little like thumbs up if you had heard the word Klipa before, before our share? Yeah. Okay, so, so the word Klipa is like, we use it as like a, um, no one really knows like what it means. It's like the person's a keeper dicker person. Yeah, It's like, we know it's bad. We don't really know what, it's just like a bad way of, you know, he's a keeper. That's a horrible thing to say, yeah? Doesn't it just mean like a cover? Well, this is the point. It is a cover, exactly. It is a cover. But like what we just said before, the idea of doing something as a means to an end and a cover are the same. So really a clipper is a shell or a peel, like uh, the clipper of an egg or the clipper of a banana. Yeah, what do you want to do when you want to eat the you want to eat a banana? What do you do with the with the peel? Throw it away. That is the the paradigmatical example of, uh, of, of a means to an end. The shell of an egg is a means to an end. You don't want a shell, you want the egg. Don't want the, the the rind, you want the orange. So but it covers because, like we just said, it's it's one and the same concept. Means to an end and covering are the same concept. So that's Klipa. And look around you, look around your room, yeah. Everything you see in your room is that Hashem revealing himself to you. How often is it you look around your room and you're like, wow, Hashem. How often does that happen? Without having never. Yeah, never. Why? Because this whole world is made of Klipa. It covers Hashem. Oh, wait, and it's a means to an end? What's that? So, wait, I know it covers Hashem, but, but that's just the secondary point. The primary point is that it's a means to an end. What's it a means to an end? What's the end? What's the end of Klipa? To know Hashem. To have a relationship with Hashem. How do you have a relationship? Yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely, but but say more. That's not enough. I'm not letting you off the hook there. What is it? To what... connect and to be one with Hashem. Why do you need Kleeper for that? So you make your own choice. Thank you. That's what Kleeper is for. Kleeper is to present you with another option. Reality is, is binary. We think that we've got a choice between all these different things, yeah? Like, I've got to work on my... I've got to work on my Lush and Hora or my Shemir Saloshan. I've got to work on, I've got to watch what I eat. I've got to work on being there when I'm with my children. I have to be present. I have to work on making my husband his food on time, whatever it is. I have to work on thinking positively and not judging myself and others. And we've got all of these avoiders, endless things that we have to do. But really, the choice is always binary. It's, am I choosing a Shem or am I choosing me? Any Avera is me choosing me over Hashem. That's the definition of an Avera. I chose myself over Hashem. And that's only possible because of Klippa. See, not only does Klippa give you this illusion of this, this whole, you know, amazing world, but the real the real Hiddish of Klipa is that you feel separate from God. You feel like an autonomous, independent, fragmented, isolated, separate being unto yourself. That's Klipa. And that's great. Because now that means we can choose Hashem. Because if you didn't feel that, you would just be like a God robot. You know what they call what they call that? What you call a God robot? Huh? Malach. Yes, they do. And we're not we're much better than Malachim. Malachim are, are little robots, little God robots. They're like proteins. They just do their thing. Yeah. Hashem didn't want a relationship with with a protein, with a malach. Shem wants a relationship with us. So now, when Hashem, remember, Ratzon causes everything to happen, yeah? So this whole world exists because Hashem is willing it to exist, yeah? But there's two parts to creation. There's the things that he really wants, and then there's the things that he's kind of forced into having to make. We call that Kleeper. The world then divides into two creations. Things that are Kadosh and things that are Kleeper. Kadosh are things that are an end unto themselves. Like, like the reason why most husbands can't deal with, with their wives' appreciation for jewellery is because a man's like he like looks at a jewelry and he's like like well what do you do with that like what's it for you know what do you mean what's it for look at it it's beautiful like, yeah but what like you can't drive it you can't eat it you can't, what do you do oh, oh maybe you could sell it later oh I and mean, you could okay that's okay yeah but but the 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 
reg generally women have got a greater capacity for this that they can appreciate something for itself and that's that's a very material idea but but you don't have jewelry and even and a, and a, a you know a good jewish woman she might even feel a little embarrassed about her expensive jewelry and not want to wear it out and about so it's not about the covered like a man would be able to appreciate that oh if you like you wear a fancy watch it gives me the respect or whatever yeah but a lot of good Jewish women even feel a little bit self-conscious with nice jewelry. So it's not about the covered, you know, it's about the jewelry. That's something that you love for itself. It's like your desire to live, lahavdil. Like we said, remember your desire to live is not dependent on something. You want to live. No reason why you want to live, you want to live. And then there's the things that you have there as a means to the end you don't want a washing machine you want clean clothes <laughs> you don't get any you don't get any pleasure from your washing machine you get pleasure from the clean clothes you might have gratitude to it because it gives you clean clothes but it's not an end unto itself if men knew this clearly they'd be in a much better position to buy their wives gifts i think because they don't men men work on a very functional level so as I've found out many times. Um, so now that's called Klipa. When I'm creating something, when Hashem is creating something as a means to an end, it's called Klipa. As an end unto itself, which is basically called Nishmas Yisrael or the Shechina. Yeah, that is an end unto itself. That's called Kadusha or Kadush. And like we just said, Klipa covers over. So then what does Kadusha do? If Kleepers then is called opaque, what would Kadusha be called? Reveals, transparent. Transparent or surrendered, exactly, exactly. Creations that are transparent to God, like a Sefer Torah, for example, or like a bencher or like a sither. Yeah, let me, you put a sither down on the table, yeah, and one of your kids comes and puts like a cup of coffee on it. What do you do? You... You move the coffee away, it, it bothers you. Why? Because it's kadosh. It's kadosh. You, you can't do that something kadosh. What does that mean? It means that there's a there's a remez to the Rabboni Shlodim there. It's, it's, it's holy, meaning it reminds you of God. So things that remind you of God, like a real tzaddik, a real tzaddik, you don't walk away from the shir and go, wow, he was amazing. That was unbelievable how he said it. A real tzaddik, you walk away from the shir feeling more holy. You don't talk about the tzaddik, you're thinking about the boy He he or she brought you close. He, they're just a, they're just a, a pesach. They're just a, a transparent window that gives you access to the boy That's what a real tzaddik is. A real tzaddikus, not somebody who can say nice words and speak nicely. That's not what it is at all. Or even knows a lot of Torah. So now. We've got this concept of covering, yeah? Kleeper is a covering. But we've got two kinds of covers. We've got opaque and we've got translucent. So the Kleeper divides into two. The Kleeper is a cover, but there's, there's madragas to covers. Like, for example, there's the peel of a grape. Yeah, the Kleeper of a grape. Hold a grape up to the light. And you see the light come through it. 
it allows light to pass through. That's called translucent, yeah? Like your bathroom, like the windows in your bathroom, yeah? They're translucent. You with me? No, it might be frosted. Frosted is saying that frosted is translucent. That's what it means. It means you know if the light is on behind, like if you've got a frosted door, you know that there's light behind. You know it's day or night. It's not like a wall. A wall is opaque. Frosted glass, or in Israel they call it halavi, like milky glass, whatever it is. Yeah, that's called translucent. So you've got two levels of klipa. There's klipa that is translucent that 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 hints to the or more like you can access the rabbinishloilim through that. And then there's things that are opaque that you can't access the rabbinishloilim through. Yeah, sorry. So I had a question for that. I was waiting till the end. but So my question was, so in other words, Klippa is also Kodesh. So now I'm hearing that the transparent, the, the grape type of Klippa has some Kodesh to it. Versus the opaque one. Doesn't. Yes. And that would be the difference between kosher meat and non-kosher meat. Kosher meat would be called translucent. Why? Because you can eat it with a brocha and you can use that energy to serve the bonus shalom. You can eat it on Shabbos. It's available. We're going to talk about this much more later, but, but it's available to Kedusha. It's available to God. Whereas yeah. non-kosher meat, you can't eat that on Shabbos. You can't eat that and then learn and pray. You can't turn that into, it's, it's, it's completely... There's no access. It's not available. Okay. So those terms, we haven't used many terms. I don't, I'm trying to stay away from the language, so to speak. But, but those terms is called Klippas Neuger and Gimel Klippas Timaeus. Klippas Neuger is that translucent Klippa that Hashem is available. There is, an, there is access. You, can't, you have access to God through that. Hashem isn't completely or utterly concealed. And then you have Klippus Timaeus, the Gimel Klippus Timaeus, which is like Chazir, like pig. Like a pig is some Gimel Klippus Timaeus or a horse. Yeah, you can't, you can't, or, you know, a mixture of Basa Bacharov. You can't, you can't use that. That's not available to Kedusha. Okay. And the final class to finish, just to finish up in another five minutes. The final class of this first section, which is called Being Human, Class five was called the anatomy of the soul. Does anybody remember the five levels? Anyone want to have a go? Sorry, I have my notes in a different place. That's I'm not, but I know that. What's the um, what motivates what motivates your rutson? I just gave it away. Rutson is the is the second level. What motivates you? What's the rutson of the rutson? Why do you want something? MS. MS? Huh? M MS? MS? Hello. No. Hello. <laughs> pleasure. Pleasure. Right, Oneg. Right, Oneg and Ratzon. Yeah. Exactly. Oneg, pleasure. Oneg motivates Ratzon. Oineg and Ratzon are bound up with one another. Well, they're not bound. They're, they're, Oineg is the panemius and Ratzon is, is its expression out. Ratzon gets stuff done. Oineg just likes to sit there and enjoy itself. So 
Oineg becomes enclosed in Ratzon to get stuff done. Okay? So the, 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 the source of who you are is pleasure. It's called pleasure. And remember, we said that when you eat, like, people enjoy chocolate, yeah? Chocolate gives you pleasure. Scrap, uh, yeah, people enjoy chocolate. You use the term, I get pleasure from chocolate. Yes. Yeah? Okay, so scratch that. Never say that again. Well, you can say it again, but just scratch that mm. and change that to, and this is really helpful. Chocolate gives me pleasure no. versus I get. No? Closer. Chocolate touches my pleasure. That's a very deep, if you if you think about that deep, that's a very deep thing. Chocolate doesn't give you pleasure. That sounds like the pleasure comes into you from outside. No, it's your pleasure you can't really call it your pleasure. It's you. We'll call it your pleasure just as a concession so we can, we'll be able to say it because I thought I might be able to say it. So pleasure, the chocolate touches your pleasure. Like herring touches my kid's pleasure and my pleasure a bit. And it doesn't touch my dad's pleasure. That means he doesn't like it. <laughs> and I ask, what hugs my pleasure? What hugs your pleasure? I don't know. I mean, to touch it, you mean what What would be the ultimate pleasure? Yeah, like what's, how do you feel that pleasure stronger? Ah, oh, well, the, the, the way to really, really feel pleasure again is just like everything else is silence. Silence is the way to experience everything. No, no chocolate, no nothing. No, 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 no. I mean eating the chocolate with silence. Uh-huh. As, oh. not analyzing the chocolate not thinking about the chocolate not but there's also the pleasure of like like the pleasure of wine the pleasure of fine wine is not actually in the taste of the wine the pleasure in fine wine for people who've learned it it's an intellectual pleasure like fine art but anybody's learned about wine here i haven't yeah but from what i've heard is like a person who's learned about wine they can taste the different so, and they're like, mm, oh, that's that. And that, so it's actually a pleasure of intellect. There's pleasure of intellect. There's pleasure of emotion. There's the pleasure of music. There's the pleasure of, of taste, of physicality, of, 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 of touch, etc. There's all these different ways of touching your pleasure. Some people are more physical than others. Some people are more intellectual than others. Some people are more, some people get high off hearing something very deep. Some people they couldn't care less, and they get they get they get pleasure from listening to music. And other people music doesn't etc etc. Yeah. So your pleasure is touched by all different kinds of things, and your pleasure, or that which is really you. Like I said, you can't really differentiate it from what's on. They really refer to it as the same thing. And that's that's it going out. Now, rotson. You remember what the level after rotson is? What does rotson in a in a healthy in a healthy person see? Rotson is like an the next level is intellect. No, exactly. But rotson is like an atomic. It's like a chaotic energy. It could right. do, it could go anywhere. It could do anything. Rotson is just. It's like hashmal. If you it could become a cold air if you put it into an air conditioner, and it can become hot air if you put it into an oven, or it can become light if you put it into a, a light, etc. Yeah. So it's just available, it's just energy, it's just energy. So that gets channeled through the intellect and ordered, systemized, 
kind of refined, directed, and then you can have intelligent emotions. And if you can use your intellect intelligently, you can you can experience wild, deep, visceral emotions, but you'll never feel out of control. It's like the child, everyone knows their kids, yeah? Everyone knows that really their kids are plutzing for order to be imposed on them. There's nothing more like concerning than watching a kid who's got no, no, no boundaries, no bedtime, no, 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 there's just no boundaries. He's like a, you know, just a, a, a wild animal. Yeah, that's horrible. Children are longing to be, they might not say it, but they really are longing for instruction and for um, borders and boundaries. And that's why, in fact, that's why the kids test you. Because when they get to like two, three, four, they start really pushing your buttons, yeah? Why? Because they're trying to develop boundaries. Oh, I said that, I'm not gonna say that again. Yeah, okay, good, I've got a boundary there. I can't go past that one. That's what they're actually trying to do. That's your emotions. The motion is parents, children, intellect, emotions. So you, you can sit there and watch your kids going nuts. And it's fine as long as you know that you can step in if it gets out of hand, that's that's healthy. And it's not healthy if you get your kids to sit down in a straitjacket and you tie them down and you're like, okay, you can't move. That's not healthy. So the idea is to have real, palpable, visceral, excitable, um, energized emotions, inspired emotions, but but never but never to the point where you would do something that you regret because your intellect is always in the background ready to take control if it needs to that's a very very healthy person that's a very healthy person indeed yeah we should be so to get to that Majega. and then the final stage is once the once the intellect has ordered the energy of the ruts on what does it express itself as? We said as emotions. It's behavior, you said. Actually. And then emotions, emotions basically boil down to love and fear. Love is the desire really to bring into me. Like we said, like a little kiss is, is the idea of like a little suck, if you see yourself, that uh, it brings in, that's love. You kiss something that you love, you want to bring it into you, yeah? And if you hate something, it's like you want to push it away from you. So, so love and fear, really, Ava and Yira, are just, that's all emotion, yeah? It, like you might I'll be asking, what about joy? What about, what about depression? What about mourning? There's all these other things. They're not technically emotions. We will talk about them, Bezat Hashem. But love and fear means the, the desire to bring to me, the energy of bringing close, and the energy of pushing away, Okay. And what does that, like you just said, Mrs. Blumenberg, what does that finally express itself as? Which is behavior, which is thought, speech, and action. Thought is also behavior. And that's the final part of the system. That's how it expresses itself. And that's why this is called the cuff yad. Because cuff is maramas to the word kesa. Kesa is, is maramas to the idea of oineg and ruts on the highest level 
So this is the Kesha between the highest level and my and my level of action is that's that's the whole system. Everything else is just in, in the middle. So the whole thing is so the basic the way the system works is that Oineg goes out through Rotson. Rotson gets ordered through Seichel. Seichel gets born as an emotion. And the emotion expresses itself in a behavior. That's the system. Okay. That was the first five classes. That was good. Any questions? It's okay to be clear. I wanted to ask about Bechira. Like, is it could it be that some people have less Bechira than others? That's a really big question. Um, I don't know the answer to that question. Is it, is it Here's the, I mean, I've learned. Sorry, Sorry go ahead. I know what I've learned is that as you grow higher, your challenges become higher. So you always have Bahira, you just have it on a different level. Yeah, yeah, that's the the base understanding. But, but then there is the idea of like, you get worse at choosing good, like an addict goes down a, a rabbit hole and starts becoming less able to choose good. He right. gets more and more, um, what's the word? Um, isn't this something called the Kedis There's the that and that can fall, but 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 that, that's what I'm trying to say. It's more complicated than that. It's more complicated than that. We're going to discuss Bechira because Bechira is a very important thing we're going to ha- have a whole class about because it's really, when you understand it the way that the Tanya explains it, it will it will inspire you very deeply. And it will be a big Kiddush for everyone, I think. So we'll get there then, Bezrat Hashem. So let's say if I listen to your classes every single week, I have an easier time with my Bechira. If I'll tell you this, if you can keep to your word, if when you say something, it happens, then your Bechira will exponentially, that's the key to Bechira. The key to, we're talking not about, we're not talking about holy Bechira. There's, we're going to explain this Bechira, Chofshis and Bechira. Yeah, Bechira is available to all human beings. So it's even available a little bit to animals as well. But but Bechira is dependent on four words. These are the four most important words that I ever heard in my life until... These these words, I can't tell you how much these words... This was the difference between being an animal and being a human. This was the... this These four words made me become a human being. They're really the ability to say no. What? The ability to say no. No. Isn't that doesn't that say? I'll tell you, these are these are the four words, yeah, in this order. Making and keeping promises. Those are see the problem with this is it's so simple because people don't want their problems to go away. Why don't people want their problems to go away? Because like we said earlier, people have identified with their problems. Who would I be if I didn't have my problems? <laughs> what would I be? It's like dying. 
Most people are so identified with their problems, their sense of self is so caught up in their issues that they literally can't let them go. Just like you wouldn't be able to kill yourself. You can't let go of your problems. That's how it is for most people. But it's so making and keeping promises is the key to the whole thing, the key to becoming a human being. And, and I've, I've, I've thought about this so long, and I think you can boil it down to the most simple, if you want to begin with making a human being. Most people that I've come across, most regular people, they can't make promises. Meaning, I don't know if it's the same in LA, but when I make a, when I, when I like, you know, we put a, I put a barbecue on once a year in my supper, yeah? I invite people around. How many people say, yeah, sure, I'll be there at, everyone's what what do people say yeah maybe, maybe i'll see yeah we'll see let's see and the trial you know we'll, hopefully there's you know there's why can't people commit maybe something else will come up that's better <laughs> oh well okay but but or they don't want to disappoint you if it doesn't work they out they the, the panemius is they don't want to disappoint themselves when 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 you make a promise and you break it that's called betraying yourself. And imagine how you would feel towards somebody who betrayed you. Betrayal is the worst thing in the world. Literally the worst thing in the world. If someone betrays you, you literally want to kill them. When you betray yourself, you end up feeling those same, you end up feeling that, that same emotion towards yourself. So making and keeping promises, you've got so much, it's, it's so, there's a, what's the word? The stakes are so high. Because if you like, uh, Mrs. Katz is here. Mrs. Katz, you still here? I think she's. I don't. Know, she's on. She's. But I. Uh, oh, you're over there. Okay. So I, when I was in LA last time, I uh, my flight fell through, and Yitzi fixed me up with. He worked out my flight, yeah. And I was just getting up. I couldn't do anything, yeah. And I basically said to him, "Can you just deal with it?" And he said, no problem, it's done. And I knew that it would be done. I, I knew it was good. I, there was no question because I trust him. I, I knew I knew it was going to get done. When, when you can feel, when you can trust yourself in that way, you realize how you feel towards yourself. So you get all these, like all of the, you know, all of the pump yourself up, positive attitude you know you're amazing you're this divine soul you're wonderful you're this you're that amazing amazing yeah none of that is even a, a speck on making and keeping promises and the better you get at it the more and, and you know where it all begins i say like this it all begins on being on time and if you're already an on-time person i think some of you are yeah then you have to find the next place but the first step is when you say I'm going to be there at 10 o'clock, you're there at 10 o'clock. And it's not negotiable. Then you start to fall in love with yourself. As opposed to when you say you're going to be at 10 o'clock and you get there at like quarter past 10, 10, 20, yeah, you betrayed yourself. So that's why people can't commit to stuff. So that's the, those, those four words. I don't know how we got there. We went off a little bit, but that's the, uh, but that's the key to being human. And then I'm just going to give you this very quickly. Those, are the, those, those four words are the keys to being human, yeah? making making and keeping promises and then there's the four words to being jewish the four words to being jewish are tanugav yizbrach lifnei tanugi <laughs> your pleasure 
Hashem before my pleasure. That's Yiddishkeit summarized in four words. Your pleasure, your pleasure is more important to me than my own pleasure. Now you've become a real Jew. That's really, that's called acting like a Jew. That's a very, that's available to us. Hashem. And now from, that was a good segue in. So next week, pardon me, Hashem, we will, we will, um, we will start discussing what it means to be Jewish. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well,